all those KPIs, all those things that you want to make sure that, that are getting handled, that the owner gets that, and you pull them out of managing the minutia from day to day and get them back and doing what they do best is actually getting business in the front door. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name's Rick Nusky, I'm your host. I'm also the luckiest person alive, I have to say, because I get to spend some time with some incredibly talented people doing the things that I love doing, which is learning from them about what they're doing in their businesses. And on today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming founder of CFO Consultant Services, Mr. Kerry Prazier. Welcome to the show, Kerry. Hey, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me, Rick. Looking forward to the conversation. Yes, absolutely. Pleasure to have you here. We're going to be talking, obviously, all things uh, business, including finance, KPIs, systems, strategy, along with your uh, deep dive into the three-step process that you use for transforming businesses into well-oiled machines. Now, all that being said, I'd love to learn a little bit about you first, Kerry. Where are you calling in from today? Um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Fantastic. Has that been home forever? Is that uh, where you grew up? No, I grew up in Lafayette, about an hour west of here, but I've been living here for, for what, 35 years? Yeah, it's been a wow. while. Wow. Time I'm flies. No longer than that. I, yeah, I'm sorry. 39 years, what am I saying? 39 yeah, years. Don't blink yeah. or you'll miss it. <laughs> sorry? Don't blink or you'll miss it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So tell me, what do you love about, what, what do you love about living there? What's... What's the thing you love? Well, I mean, it's South Louisiana. It's, uh, it's not as Cajun as Lafayette, where I'm from, um, but it's Cajun enough. There's have to be a lot of Cajun food, some festivals, and of course, LSU football. Go Tigers! Um, <laughs> uh, gotta love that. It's just it's Baton Rouge is a really great place to live. Uh, very family oriented, state capital, the big medical facility here. Yep. Major university, uh, a lot of nice people, a lot of nice neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. close enough to New Orleans, but not that close. It's, and it's fairly close to Lafayette, so there's a lot of places to go, a lot of things to do. Wonderful. I love the fact that we've got a social life that we can all sort of go out and look around and learn even some things about our own place. Now, tell me, what's a, what's a landmark there that people might might want to visit or, or know about if they were to visit? Probably the most famous landmark that's here in Baton Rouge is Tiger Stadium. It's, it's on... You know, if you follow college football at all, mm -hmm. you've seen it. Yep. So, you know, in fact, Tiger Stadium has been rated number two in terms of college game day places to, to, to tailgate oh, wow. during the day. It's been rated number one if you go to a night game. And it's, yeah, the night it's something else. There. Yes, I, lo I love yeah, atmosphere. It's, it's insane. Yeah, look, the, the atmosphere of places like that, you can't beat it, can you? Right. Now, yeah. do do you uh, do you find yourself doing doing any other things like in, in your downtime? I know you're quite busy doing uh, what you do, um, but what do you I, like doing? Yeah, I I really like to I like cycling. Um, I was a very avid cyclist until about uh, what um, a little over a year and a half ago, and I went through a series of knee surgeries oh. not from cycling, just from 
from the uh, the excesses of youth, football, wrestling, <laughs> tennis, yep. racquetball, weightlifting. Everything. So I had to have a new replacement that ran some complications, had double surgeries. So I'm really just getting back into biking, cycling now. And, uh, you know, I'm up to like 15, 20 miles a, a thing, which is, it's all right, but it's not the 45 to 60 miles I'm used to. So yeah, I, I enjoy that. I like, uh, I like cooking a lot, uh, vegetable gardening, mm-hmm. like reading, studying a lot of history. Yep. Uh, you know, nothing exciting. Nothing exciting, just the standard sort of run-of-the-mill stuff. Now, in terms of reading, I'm, I'm a big audio book fan. Do you enjoy audio books or do you like flicking the pages? Uh, actually, both. Both, I, I can yep. do both. The, the, I guess the downside of the audio is I tend to, you know, if I'm not, like, focusing on it. My father told me when he grew up, they used to listen to the radio. But listen to the radio and the way they listen to the radio everybody look at the radio yeah otherwise they get distracted <laughs> so it's kind of like that with me for audiobooks if i don't just sit there and concentrate on listening if i start fooling with stuff i'm probably going to get distracted and, and miss what goes by tell us a bit so, about uh, yeah i enjoy them both tell us a bit about your family tell us a bit about your father you've talked about people in those formative years that would have um you know maybe influenced you to become the band and the man that you've become today any influential people in your life as you grew up? Yeah, uh, my dad. My dad was a great man. He died uh, at fifty mm. when I was like twenty-five. Um, wow. He was a doctor. Yep. Yeah. He grew up on a farm. He brought us up on a farm. Uh, taught us the value of hard work. Oh uh, yeah. Doing well in school. Uh, keeping your word. Um, helping other people. Values. Um, yeah, he's he was a huge influence in my life. I know that these can be tough conversations and I really do appreciate you opening up because, uh, you know, sometimes um, people don't like to talk about these sorts of things, but I think for context, I think it's important that we, I guess, touch on those who are around you that helped you become the person that you've become today. I know that you've gone on to um, lecture at various universities and I'd love to learn a little bit more about that if we could. Yeah, I, I taught uh, at four universities down here, uh, LSU, UL Lafayette, Southeastern Louisiana University, and Baton Rouge Community College uh, on personal finance, estate planning, um, you know, goal setting, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and um, with with the students that you would have you would have met and spoken with hundreds of different talented young people. Um, what what are some of the common questions that you would would have received over the years from them? Oh, well, a lot of more technical, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. tax questions, investment questions. Uh, you know, how soon should I get started? What kind of money do I need to retire? Mm-hmm. And, and again, all that's variable. It depends on how much money you want to retire with. And what yeah. kind of income you're looking at, how, how active. Uh, there's a lot of technical questions on, on uh, investments, investment analysis, uh, taxation. Again, the taxation questions change over time yep. as the tax laws change. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, it was a lot of fun and I enjoyed it. Um, it just got to be too much of working and teaching at the same and I, time. Yeah, I did it for like what seven years. Yeah, I thought like seven years. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Met a lot of people. Uh, really enjoyed the teaching part. And at some point, it just I just didn't have enough time. To didn't do. have enough time to do both. Now I can understand that for right. sure and certain. Now tell me, um, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm thinking he needs to explain what this means. What is ontological coaching? What is that? Ah, <laughs> okay. Uh, Ontological coaching comes from a discipline invented by Fernando Flores from Chile. And the onto- it's basically the ontology of language. And ontology comes from the Greek word ontos, which means to be. Yep. So ontology is a study of being in language. 
And Fernando's big claim is that, well, he had several claims, but the big one is that we're linguistic beings in addition to being biological beings. Right. Right. We yeah. have language, and language is embedded in you, and how do you know that? You can do exercises that mm -hmm. you know it's an exercise. Yep. And, you know, if somebody would call you, you say, okay, I'm going to do an exercise, I'm going to show you, I'm going to demonstrate to you that your language lives in your biology. So I'm just going to, here's an exercise, I'm going to make some assessments about you. And somebody calls you whatever you, you know, the, the worst thing you could think of. That, you know, you're fat, you're stupid, <laughs> All you're these old, things. you're whatever. Yep. And whatever. And you get triggered and it's in your biology. Yeah. You know, you get, you can't help it. Even though, you know, it's just an exercise, you know, they don't mean it intellectually. Your brain doesn't know the difference. But it's there. Yep. Another big claim in the ontology of language is that language is generative, not just descriptive. In other words, language happens first and action follows with it. Um, the fact that you and I are talking tonight happened in language, even though it was written in emails, what have you, mm -hmm. uh, in the past. So this future, this present actually, was designed in the past through language. Um, that you started a radio show. At some point you had to declare, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start a radio show. Yep. This country, the United States, was started with the Declaration of Independence. Another different, different way to look at it with, with uh, language is, think about all the times you said yes in your life. How different would your life be if you had said no in every one of those situations? Your language generates your reality, and you have a narrative. Yes. Everybody has a narrative. Everybody has a lot of prejudices and preferences and good, bad, like it, don't like it, right, wrong, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And all that stuff is right here, and it's right here so much you don't even notice it. But that narrative is making choices for you, is describing the world to you, um, so that you experience the world through a narrative. You experience the world through an explanation of what just happened. Because as human beings, we're always trying to make sense of what we just experienced. Sight, sound, touch, taste, smell. Um, so we're always trying to make a story up about that. Yep. And a lot of times the story doesn't actually match the facts. That's why you can have several people witness the same situation, and they all have a different, a different narrative or a different interpretation about what happened. Mm -hmm. So what's great about the ontology of language as a coach you can help people discover the narratives they're they're being run by that are running them that they chose a long time ago that really don't work for them that causes them suffering that has them being effective and help them to see that it's just a narrative and reinterpret the narrative in such a way that now it's effective but at least they're not blocked by ineffectiveness or suffering or uh, a breakdowns or not being able to get past second gear so uh, it's, I found it to be a very powerful language. I use it in my a very powerful discipline. Mm. I use it in my consulting. I use it in my business. I use it in my family. I can see um, why. Absolutely. It's about yeah. resetting that story that we tell ourselves, isn't it? Yes. I love yes. the fact that you talked about it in a way that I understood because it was, to me, the first thing that, that I took from it was that it was about planting seeds. And as a parent, I find that very interesting to think about the amount of times I've said no. Does that make me a negative person? Because I seem to say no a lot to my children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem with small children, and um, I'm in my own, you know, the, the, but you got to tell them no. Yeah. You know, they don't understand. No. They don't like it. They don't agree with it. They don't. <laughs> and, and that's part of the, I think that's part of, if I've read the, if I remember my reading of psych, clinical psychology mm -hmm. books correctly on childhood, is that's part of the terrible twos is that these kids, these little kids begin to get that they have a separate relationship or they're a separate entity from their mother oh, yeah. and being told no 
They don't understand. They don't agree. They don't like it. They don't appreciate it. And there's no way they're going to. They yeah. don't see what you see. They don't know what you know. They don't hear what you hear. They don't, they don't have enough. They don't have your life experience. Yeah. You know, my youngest in particular, I mean, one time we were barbecuing and she, she was like three years old. And she got coming up to the barbecue. I kept telling her, no, baby, no, no, no. it's hot, yeah. hot, hot, kept telling her, hot, hot. <laughs> and finally, when I looked away, she touched it. Oh, just a couple of minutes. Yeah. She got the meaning of hot. <laughs> I mean, after her crying, she, she, all she said, all you had to say was hot. And she would. She it's context, away. isn't it? Yeah. It's about that context. Now, if we could, I know that you've uh, had a lot of uh, experience uh, in public speaking. Tell us about that. I find that to be fascinating because I'm not sure that I could do that myself. Well, you're doing it now. Well, I guess in the <laughs> form. I know I couldn't. Uh, I mean, public speaking is you're just you're speaking to more than one person. Right. And generally, you know, a lot of this public speaking, I've, I've done technical public speaking, like in front of the Louisiana Society of CPAs and I've, you know, taught universities. Um, but a lot of the public speaking I've done has been surrounding this whole thing the ontology of language mm -hmm. what what how how do you use that to be more effective in life how do you use that to cultivate leadership and to generate uh, a vision and generate a following or followers yeah and also in community building and it's it's pretty easy to talk about once you you know you've know your topic learned and learned and learned and been taught and had and again you you need a good coach to do it personal transformation I think is impossible without a good coach. And why is that? Well, you know, if you think about all professional athletes in the world, the top professional athletes all have coaches. In fact, they have more than one. Why is that? Because you can't see yourself in a performance of what you're doing. Uh -huh. You can't. No. They can. They can see, and they can see little, again, this is the whole thing about distinctions. They can give you distinctions that will help you up your game, not just a little bit, but a lot. But a lot. You know, really find distinctions. And, and it, since this is a business show, I'm going to put it in a, give you a business example. Take Excel, for example, a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. If you don't know Excel very much, you don't have any distinctions of how to make it go and how to make it, you know, analyze everything. Yep. And you know how you can put some, you know, you put some numbers in there, some verbiage, what have you. And somebody showed you how to do the summation button. It sums up a column for you. Pretty put basic stuff. Up. Yep, yep. Wow, that's great. Okay, well, that's <laughs> one. Well, here's the pivot table. Let me take this big thing of this big <laughs> page of data and turn it into a pivot table so you can analyze it that <laughs> way. So and you can create these, not just not just a page, but a workbook yes. of several things. And now you're making much bigger uh, moves. You're making much more effective moves with Excel because you've got these distinctions because now you can see what you couldn't see before. Yes. A simpler way to think about it, if you're in a room and they turn all the lights off and you can't see a thing, the only distinction you really have in that moment is the floor because you're standing on it. You feel it. You can kind of make your way over to the wall, navigate over the wall, hopefully safely. <laughs> Nose first. <laughs> but, without the, but without the light, you can't safely navigate that room. You can't navigate it effectively. I mean, you can kind of get all, get on your all fours and, and go around and feel for the furniture and what have you. But without those distinctions of where the furniture is and where the walls are and where the, everything is, you're not going to navigate that room very effectively and probably not even safely you know i love so, how i love how you can easily connect um uh, practical uh, ways that we operate not only uh, professionally but uh, personally by way of stories i think it's very powerful and i think it's a, a really good um thing to think about in terms of the uh the world of machine process that we're going to talk about because that's a navigational process um in many respects but before we do that 
uh, Kerry, can we talk about your time um, hosting the Financial Design Hour on WJBO uh, Radio? Love it. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun, actually. That was, uh, when was that? That's probably about 20 years ago, just for a few years. Uh, the Financial Design Hour was, a, it was a, a radio show I did on Saturday afternoons. And uh, it was basically about investments, estate planning, some about the ontology, the ontological design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had, had people calling in from you know the Baton Rouge, Greater Baton Rouge area. Yep. Uh, it was an AM radio show. It was just a lot of fun. And again, after about a year and a half, two years, it just got to be too much. It was interfering with LSU football games. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it was a lot of. Fun. I can't. I can't say it wasn't a lot of fun because it really was getting on the radio. Uh, I remember the first time I got on there, I was, you know, because it's live. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know how that I, feels. I, 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 think I, I think I was channeling Porky Pig that first time. I, <laughs> I couldn't speak fast enough. But, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking to a lot of people. Um, yes. And uh, anyway, yeah, just, it, it, is a real, it is a real experience having spoken on radio myself uh, with a friend who used to be a host. And, uh, it takes, uh, I guess, a little bit of courage to do that sort of thing. Now, in terms of uh, business and you know the way that you operate, I'm wondering if you could share with the audience um, what your business actually does in terms of products and services that you share. Okay, um, I work with business owners, mm-hmm. small to medium-sized business owners mm-hmm. that are tired of the chronic frustration that goes along with owning a small business, a small to medium-sized business. Um, and I work with them in a number of ways. And let me describe to you what happens. Generally, a, small, a business gets started when someone says, hey, I can do this really well. I can go make some money. I'm going to start my own business. Again, it happens in language first. Yep. And they go out and they start doing things, making connections, establishing relationships, uh, relationships with vendors, getting some customers. Maybe they hire some employees. And they start making some money. And it's going great. So yep. they want to make more money. So they need to leverage their own efforts. So maybe they hire some more people. And over time, they make money, you know, they accumulate money. So they not only are making money, but they're hiring people to keep the organization going. The problem with that is that most entrepreneurs are very good at seeing opportunities, taking risks, making things happen, taking action, getting things going, right? Yeah. What does it take to manage a business? It takes somebody who like, don't change much. I want a system. I want to repeat, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. I want to just keep it very monotonous, very boring, very steady. Entrepreneurs drive them crazy. I've seen some business owners that are entrepreneurs. They see things like, man, this is too boring. So they go interfere with the process just because they think it's too boring. Upsets the whole apple cart. So entrepreneurs typically make bad managers. And what happens is Typically, when they have a breakdown in the business, some dysfunction happens, something's not going well, yep. the, the owner will call a meeting for whatever employees involved and say, okay, this is the problem, and this is what we're doing about it. Anybody have anything to say? Nope. No. <laughs> Why not? Because <laughs> I've raised my hand in the past, and I've gotten slapped Shut down. down. Yep. And you just said, this is the problem, this is how we're going to do it, so all we're going to do is we're going to execute. We're not going to, there's not going to be any ownership of it with the employees because you, it's your idea. And when it fails, you'll probably call another meeting or you'll chew out some people yep. or get frustrated or whatever. Yep. Because they're not, they're not good managers. They're not good. Uh, they, they're not good at processes and procedures because it's too routine for them. They're, they're the outside the box guys. Yes. Yes. So you need somebody who can come in, bring the employees together. 
that are actually involved in the process that actually do the job day to day and know what works and what doesn't work and have them come up with a good procedure that, that will work, that's detailed, that's written, that's disseminated, and everybody knows that, that, that place in the machinery, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And the dysfunction goes away because without that, everybody, you know, you hire somebody, you have an idea of what they're supposed to do, they have an idea of what they're supposed to do, and a lot of times they're incongruent. They don't mesh up. Yep. So imagine you do that over, say, a 10 or 15-year period, Well, now you have 30, 40 people in your, in your business, and you've been hiring people, and there's all this incongruence and all these relationships with these jobs with people do yep. what you and a business is really just a network of conversation so think of it if you had 30 people and you have that you know however many connections 30 people are to each other you have that many incongruencies that much dysfunction in the conversations of the business no wonder things don't work mm. the other thing that business entrepreneurs generally are not trained and not equipped to do well and they generally don't like it is accounting and finance they don't know how to, they say they want to manage by the numbers. They say, you know, they say all this great stuff, yep. but they don't. You know why? Because they don't know how. Yep. So they're not getting any actionable financial information in real time. So one of the things I make sure they get is they get weekly dashboards about cash flow, receivables, payables, uh, billings month to day, uh, anything that's, any of the KPIs, the yep. inventory, the production. Uh, oh, here's another one that's really important. Are you paying all your taxes? Are you filing and paying uh, all your taxes? On how time? often do you hear this? You know, because I, I can't tell you how many businesses I've walked into. You walk in on the back of the accounting department's desk, there's a stack this thick uh, of certified mail from the IRS or some department of revenue. Please pay. Have an assessment, and the owner doesn't find out until the tax man shows up and says, "I need a check." Mm. So yeah. yeah, all those KPIs, all those things that you want to make sure that that are getting handled, that the owner gets that, and you pull them out of managing the minutia from day to day. And get them back and doing what they do best is actually getting business into the in the front door. I mean, that, that's what they do. I mean, they started the business on that. I can go get this business. So good. That's a that's the most valuable thing you can do for this business. Yeah, great you vision. You don't want to try and learn, sir. Great vision. They go and do it. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead and go, go ahead and get business. Stop fooling with accounting and finance. It's yep. not your thing. You hate it anyway. Stop do what the you're environment at. around here. Yep. You're, you know, you're not a good manager. That's okay. <laughs> we don't want you being a good manager. We'd rather be a great entrepreneur because you're much more valuable to the business being a great entrepreneur than you are becoming a good manager because you have to unlearn how to become a, you'd have to unlearn knowing how to be a great entrepreneur and learn how to become a bad manager, which is a weakness for you anyway. Absolutely. So don't frustrate yourself. Go out and get business. We'll get this handled with some good procedures and give you a well-oiled machine. So Kerry, tell me, just can I cut in there? I was just wondering about this, this whole idea of, I heard the analogy, once you've dug a hole, stop digging. Now, if that be the case, and you're a small to medium sized business, and you're in that hole, is it possible to get out of that hole and fill it in? And how would you do this from a practical steps approach? What What do you share with people who are in a spot of bother? Well, yeah, you, you can, uh, unless you've dug so far that you can't get out. And that's, <laughs> that's sometimes the case. Yep. Um, you know, some businesses, they wait until they're in such bad shape that they're, they're unsalvageable. Yep. You know, but yeah, as long as you haven't just really buried yourself in debt or, you know. If there's a way out. You, yep. haven't, you haven't been watching. Here's the other thing that, that for business owners to really keep them on, uh, what's the word, on the cutting edge is to have them practice and work with them over years of strategic planning. Because strategic planning, the CEO, the, again, an entrepreneur, his job is to scan the horizon and see what's coming at him and where the opportunities, where the perils, and how to take advantage of the opportunities and, and mitigate the perils. 
And most businesses don't do that because what? why not? Why don't miss, everybody talks about, oh yeah, strategic planning, we need to have a long range plan and it never happens. It never happens. Because the consequence for not doing it doesn't happen until 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. Where the business you thought you'd have designed to wherever in the future is over here lost in the weeds. Because <laughs> you weren't, you were too busy doing the day to day. So yes, the things I already talked about, getting, getting business owners actionable financial data in real time so they can handle it there's a problem during the month rather than waiting till the whatever of so the, the horse next, is bolted. The, 20, the next month yep. here's the financial statements also give me a good um narrative of what the financial statements say about their business in terms of strength liquidity profitability uh efficiency all that stuff and again eliminating dysfunction because as long as it's dysfunction the, the business owner is generally almost addicted to being in the middle of it. They want their fingers and everything. Yep. It's their baby. They want the business to do well. Yep. So you have to make it to where the, the business operates transparently without them so they can go out and do what they do. And if they can go out and do what they do and have the business operate transparently, mm-hmm. they'll take up this function. Yep. It's, it's, it's not a, a problem. It's salvageable. I, I, I wonder, what are the, I guess, the red flags, the immediate short-term red flags financially? Because if you're managing by your numbers, Um, One would uh, presume that the numbers are the most important thing. Cash flow is the most important thing. If that be the case, what sort of numbers and when do you act? Is uh, is there a number or is there some sort of a percentage every month? Well, no, I mean, there's no absolute. Here's my thing. When the pain gets enough, call me. Yeah. (laughs) When when you've had enough suffering, call me. Because if you're always struggling with cash flow, if you're always struggling with chronic breakdowns in your business and you're always frustrated because you're having to run around and fix everything, mm-hmm. that's the, that's a problem. You're not a good manager. In fact, one of the first things I do with most businesses that I work with is I do what, what I call an identity check uh, with the manager, I mean with the owner, and if there's really some key people up there. Maybe there's partners, maybe there's some really key people. I do an identity check and what I'll do is say, give me some names, some employees, you know, depending on the size of the company, maybe some customers, maybe some vendors. And just have an oral conversation to check in and say, well, what do you think of this guy? And, you know, just tell me whatever comes to mind. How's your relationship with him? You know, what do you think of him? What are they good at? What are they not so good at? Mm-hmm. And generally what I get back is somewhat of a consensus of, of um, they're not a good manager and they don't, they don't, we don't, he doesn't trust, we don't trust them. That's a thing. And the, we don't trust them comes from, they don't care about me. And what they get is a business owner is generally so driven with making their business successful and it's at the expense of the, the employees. Yeah. You know, so if, if so, what's the expression? They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh-huh. And care is one of the essential elements of trust. So if you get somebody who doesn't care about you, like they have no concern for your, what are your concerns? Um, you know, you can be nice to them all you want. You can pay them what you want. Um, but they're not gonna they're not gonna step up to the next level. They're not gonna be that oil. They'll be subject to getting hired away by your competitors, um, starting your own business, mm-hmm. what have you. Um, yep. So you have to build that trust and that takes time, especially if you've been at it a while and you have an identity that you're not trustworthy. You know, that in yep. the past salespeople have, have done really well and you change the commission structure because you think they're making too much money. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you made a lot more than they did. Yeah, it's, it's stuff like that that has has employees come away with, and he doesn't care about me. He's just no, he's caring about, about the money. I wonder, with the, the the pandemic being what it is, how has um, I guess the operational approach to running a small to medium sized business changed, and how does that impact um, the ability to 
either maintain or build trust? Right. Um, COVID has taught us, I guess, as a as a world community, basically, mm. that a lot more can be done remotely, can be done online. And again, we have the technology to do it. To do it, it's amazing. Um, I think it was unfortunate that there were some businesses that were targeted that, I mean, I, I don't know how many businesses were put out of business with the whole COVID thing and the masking and you couldn't, you couldn't go to restaurants, you couldn't yeah. go to a bar, you couldn't go to small businesses, but you could go to Home Depot, you could go to... Um, <laughs> You go to crazy. Walmart, you go all the big box stores, all you want, but the little small businesses can't go yep. unless you're a liquor store or you're a marijuana store. Yeah, that's funny because we have similar rules. Yeah, and they're stupid. It was yeah. stupid. And, and, you know, the whole thing is that the whole time of the COVID, the fatality rate or the mortality rate of COVID was like less than 1% unless you were over 70. Less and the common cold. Pain. Yeah. It was like, what is, the, what is this big scare? Anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I'll get off my I'll get off that soapbox. Um, <laughs> I appreciate yeah, COVID, your feedback. COVID has taught us that we can do a lot more remotely, and again, my my practice that is what has happened. I'm doing a lot more remotely with clients, mm -hmm. and you can get on a Zoom call yep. and have really you know pretty much a one on one conversation with people, uh, and they get it. It's not like you know, talking over the phone is, is not as effective as face to face, just like typing a, an email is not as effective as talking on the phone. You lose all the, what is it? 93 to 93% of all communication is nonverbal. Uh, the tactile, it, you know, I can feel you yeah. almost in the room. Right. You know, you can see somebody's expressions. You can see how they move. You see what they do with their eyes. Yep. There's all that, you know, the whole thing of ontology is that we're always speaking. Yep, somehow. Which, you know, your whole body, you speak with your whole body, not just your, your, your voice mm -hmm. or your writing. And you're always listening at the same time. We're, we're pretty finely tuned antennas, and you can pick up when, like, oh, I don't know if I should trust that. Oh, that looks a bit dodgy. I get some weird vibes about <laughs> that feeling. You can yep. check in on that. Yep. Um, so technology has now come up to the point where we can almost replace face-to-face -face in person. Well, it's, it's a wonderful um, opportunity that we have in front of us to have that um, technology. Um, shows like my own wouldn't be able to exist without it and being able to talk with incredible uh, talent like yourself certainly wouldn't happen. Now, I'm wondering, right. as we get to the pointy end of the call, Kerry, if we could talk about and break down um, your well-oiled machine process a little bit more deeply. Well, I, we've already covered it pretty well. I mean, the first part is actionable financial data. Are you getting mm -hmm. a weekly dashboard? Are you looking at your KPIs? Think of the dashboard on your car. Yep. How's your fuel? How's your, I mean, now you can get, I have a truck now, it tells me the tire pressure in each tire. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> is, your, is your oil need changing? Is your battery charging? Um, what's the temperature in the, in the vehicle? What's the temperature outside the vehicle? Has all that stuff it can tell you. Well, same thing for your business. It helps you navigate uh, dashboards, KPIs, help you navigate your business in real time rather than you're finding out old data. And it's like there's nothing you can do about last month. Also, the other thing about actual financial data is with over time, giving good narratives, explaining what the financial statements are saying about the financial strength, the liquidity, the profitability, the effectiveness of the business, the business owner begins to see some strategic opportunities in the way they do business that will impact their financial statements in a positive way. So that's, 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 I, mean, I, insist, I insist that we go over financial statements every month. Every month. Let me explain them to you so that you can begin to understand them and you can begin to take action 
you you will probably see some things that I won't because I'm not you. Not you. Yep. Secondly, is eliminating dysfunction. And I can't I can't emphasize that enough. By eliminating dysfunction, you not only improve employee morale, you improve the, the effectiveness and productivity of the place, and you get the honor freed up to go do what they do best, which is bring business in the front door. Yep. And finally, the, the third part of the well-oiled machine is the long-range strategic planning that you meet at least quarterly. That, And again, at first, it's going to be kind of uncomfortable because you, you don't do it. And everybody talks about doing it, but, but they, they don't. don't do it because there's, there's too many things in the way on a day-to-day basis. So it's like, okay, so let's start. Let's long-range, what do you want the business to do? What intermediate goals, short-range goals are we going to have to accomplish? And who's going to be responsible for accomplishing them? And every quarter, we're going to meet and say, okay, was this goal met? If yep. not, okay. yep. so, and again, over time, that practice becomes easier and the people in the organization get to embrace it more because they see the results. Yeah. Um, and I that's love where you, that's where you got, you got these businesses down the road and, you know, some of them, they wind up going public and the owners get very rich and some, some choose not to go public. They don't want and to give up stays they are. Yeah. Well, I love this because you've reiterated the process, the well-oiled machine. It's something that I can remember and relate to. It gives the small to medium-sized business owner an opportunity to realize that they're not on their own. And it also um, helps them and say to themselves, well, look, you know what? I can reset and I can start on a new trajectory, a much more profitable, sustainable and long-term business plan through the strategy and all the other good work that you're doing with people so it's a real credit to you Kerry now if people do want to connect with you and they do want to work with you what is the process and where would they find you well they can contact me uh, I have a, a website called strategic business advisors plural.org mm-hmm. there's a there's a calendar link there they can schedule a, a, a call with me yep. um, they can contact me uh, they can find me on uh, LinkedIn yes and I think my email is available on there it's Kerry at CFO consulting.co um, yeah contact me on LinkedIn if you want to and hey Kerry I'd like to talk to you yep. the easiest thing is just schedule time on Calendly yeah that's easy so look yeah and you yeah. know this is a conversation that I know full well that we could take in many different directions because there's just so much to learn, to understand, to embrace, and start to actually implement in our businesses that you would be there to help them work through. And, and uh, I'm sure that there are some pretty excited people on the call today are looking forward to reaching out at you at uh, uh, to you at Strategic Business Advisors plural dot org. And uh, with all that being said, Kerry, thank you so very much for joining me on the My Future Business Show today. Yes, sir. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.